0: Deepfakes are the latest in computer-generated imagery. They're videos of people doing and saying things that they never actually did or said. Like there's a video of Obama saying, President Trump is a total and complete dipshit. But what's weird is that the voices in those videos are still done by human beings, impressionists, impersonators. The technology to simulate their voices was never good enough to fool anyone. Until now. I'm David Pogue, and this is Unsung Science.
1: This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn.
2: Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Season 1, Episode 3, Voice Deepfakes.
0: Every fall, Adobe hosts a conference called Adobe Max. It's a chance for the engineers to strut their stuff, show what they've been working on, and make announcements to a captive audience of customers and press The conference focuses, of course, on creative software for photos, videos, music, and so on, because that's Adobe's thing, right? They make Photoshop for editing photos, Premiere for editing videos, and so on. One session every year is called Adobe Max Sneak. Here's how Adobe describes this presentation.
3: The Max Sneak session invites our engineers out of the lab and onto the stage Many sneaks from previous years have later been incorporated into our products.
0: In 2016, the sneak session featured the usual sorts of Adobe experiments. There was a prototype app that lets you replace the sky in a photo with a different sky with one click. There was an app that could adjust the colors in a bunch of photos to match the color scheme of an existing document. And then there was Project Voco, which was described as Photoshop for voice.
3: Let's hear from
4: Zeyu about Photoshop voiceovers. Please welcome to the stage, Zayu.
5: Zeyu. Hello, everyone. Let's do something to human speech. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have obtained this piece of audio where um, there's Michael Key talking to Peel about his feeling after getting nominated.
0: He's referring to Key and Peele, the comedy duo. I forgot to mention that Jordan Peel, half of that duo, was sitting right there on the stage. He'd been hired as the co-host for this event. That's the Jordan Peel who went on to write and direct movies like Get Out and Us. Anyway, the Adobe researcher now played a recording of Peel's partner, Keegan-Michael Key. In this clip, Key is describing his reaction at learning that he'd been nominated for an Emmy.
6: Uh, I jumped out of the bed, and, um, and uh, uh, I kissed my dogs and my wife, in that order.
5: <laughs> yeah, so how about we uh, mess with uh, who he actually kissed? <laughs> Project Vocal allows you to edit speech in text. So let's bring it
0: up. The Vocal window shows audio, audio waveforms across the top and lined up beneath them the corresponding words. And uh, when we play back,
5: the text and the audio should play back at the same time. So let's try it.
6: And uh, uh, I kiss my dogs and my wife. Okay, so what do we do? Easily copy, paste. Let's do it. Using his cursor, <laughs> Zeyu copied and pasted
0: the typed word wife to make it come earlier in the sentence. And uh, uh, I kissed my wife and my wife, oops. And then typed over the second occurrence of the word wife with the word oops. dogs.
5: We can just type the word dogs here. <laughs> no. No. And?
6: And uh, uh, I kissed my wife and my dogs. Whoa.
0: <laughs> but so far that was just rearranging recorded words. Now came the really nutty stuff.
5: Wait, here's more, here's more. We can actually type something that's not here. So, I typed the word Jordan.
0: Here, using his keyboard, he deleted the word wife, and he typed the word Jordan, as in Jordan Peele.
6: And here we go. And uh, uh, I kissed Jordan and my dogs. <laughs>
0: At this point, Jordan Peele leaps out of his chair in mock horror. He's stomping across the stage like, I'm out of here. You, you're a witch. <laughs> yeah. You're you, you, you a demon.
5: I have a magic. <laughs> We're not just going to do with words. We can actually type small phrases. So let's say we do three
6: times.
5: Whoa! <laughs> oh. <laughs>
6: And playback. And uh, uh, I kissed Jordan three times. (laughs) So,
0: yeah, they had fed 20 minutes of Key's voice recordings into Project Voco. And now, just by typing, they could make him say things that he had never actually said. And there was absolutely no way to tell that it wasn't real. The crowd seemed to love it. The only person who seemed at all troubled was Jordan cool.
6: Peele. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm blown away. I can't believe that's possible. You just type it in and it interprets the person's voice. <laughs> this, if this technology gets into the wrong hands...
0: But Zeyu Jin was quick with his reassurance.
5: Don't worry, don't worry. We actually have researched how to like prevent forgery. Oh. Like mm-hmm. We have, like, mm-hmm. think about like a watermarking detection.
0: Later, the Adobe blog described the event like this.
3: Project Voco allows you to change words in a voiceover simply by typing new words. As always, we'd love your feedback.
0: And boy, did Adobe get feedback. From the BBC.
6: It seems that Adobe's programmers ignored the ethical dilemmas brought up by its potential misuse. From the Creative Block blog. This raises ethical alarm bells about the ability to change facts after the event. From Affinity Magazine.
7: The ethical issues associated
0: with its misuse are endless. Adobe soon began issuing this statement to reporters.
3: Project VOCO was shown at Adobe Max as a first look of forward-looking technologies from Adobe's research labs and may or may not be released as a product or product feature.
0: Well, surprise, surprise, it was not released as a product or product feature. In fact, it was never heard from again. Now, meanwhile, in the rest of the world, the tech media was abuzz with stories about the rise of deepfakes.
6: Videos recently making the rounds on TikTok have users dumbfounded. Now these groups are faced with a new issue, deepfakes. It's a growing trend that's sweeping the internet.
7: What's known as deepfake technology has only improved, making the spread of
6: misinformation so much easier. The technology can be used for some harmless fun, but deepfake technology also has a dark side.
7: How do you tell the difference and who's putting these out there?
0: Someone on Reddit first coined that term, deepfakes, to describe videos where the computer has replaced one person's face with another's. In the beginning, most deepfakes were made by amateurs grafting popular actresses' faces into porn videos. But there was also a hilarious slash creepy trend of people putting Nicolas Cage's face onto other actors in famous movie scenes. By 2018, deepfakes had gotten good enough that one video of President Obama was convincing in every way, except for the words coming
1: out of his mouth. They could have me say things like, uh, I don't know, uh, President Trump is a total and complete dipshit. Now, you see, I would never say these things, but someone else would.
0: BuzzFeed made that video as sort of a public service announcement about video deepfakes. Oh, it made the point, all right. But eight and a half million views later, hardly anyone has commented on its one glaring flaw. The computer algorithm did a great job of generating the video of Obama, but they had to use an Obama impersonator, a human being, to do his voice. And guess who they got to do the impression? Jordan Peele. Yep, the same guy who'd been on the stage two years earlier witnessing the unveiling of Project VOCO. Now, usually, audio technology always comes before video. You know, there was radio before there was TV. There were cassette tapes before there were videotapes. There was streaming audio before there was streaming video. But for some reason, in deepfakes, video came first. Audio deepfakes came along only later, and they took their time. Let me play you the the state-of-the-art in voice deepfakes as of 2017. This is supposed to sound like Donald Trump.
8: I am not a robot. My intonation is always different.
0: By the beginning of 2019, the state of the Trump deepfake had reached this level.
8: With this technology, they can make me say anything, such as the following. Barack Obama is a wonderful man. Do you think this sounds like me? We are working hard to approve these results. That is all for now. She you later, alligator.
0: Yeah. Maybe much later, Alligator. But then, later in 2019, the world got a load of fake Joe
6: Rogan. It's me, Joe Rogan. Friends, I've got something new to tell all of you. I've decided to sponsor a hockey team made up entirely of chimps. Chimps are just superior athletes. And these chimps have been working out hard. I've got them on a strict diet of bone broth and elk meat. See you on the ice, folks. That is not, in fact, the
0: voice of comedian and top podcaster Joe Rogan. That is an audio deep fake. It's not Joe Rogan. It's faux Rogan. Let's meet the guy who made it. For my pronunciation uh, pleasure, Ragavan, will you pronounce
9: your name so I can get it right? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you could say Ragavan. The last name, even I don't attempt to pronounce what <laughs> so it's, it's the at them but i'm pretty sure i'm saying it wrong so. <laughs> Ragavan is the co-founder of dessa a toronto company
0: specializing in machine learning and what is dessa's actual business what did you found it
9: to do we kind of started looking at banks um as potential customers hmm. we we ended up making like ai software for these sort of big big boring companies but <laughs> we also want to do crazy stuff because like we just saw that like, this technology can do so many things, and we, we really wanted to show the world what it could do and also just have some fun, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> So the, the Real Talk project was one of these side hustles. That's right, yeah. So the, the Real Talk project was one of those side projects. Dessa's dive into AI speech synthesis began
9: at a company dinner in the summer of 2018. I asked the team, like, what, what could we do to really show people, like, deep learning can do amazing things, and also get a lot of attention. So one of the engineers who ended up working on the project, his name is Hashim Kadim, he said, like, you know, there's this podcast that's, looks like the most popular podcast in the world, Joe Rogan's podcast, like, if we could get on there, get noticed on there or something, that could be really big. And, and that was the sort of seed of it. The DESA team figured they had plenty of source material to use for
0: its Rogan voice clone, after all, Joe Rogan has made over 1,600 episodes of his podcast, and they tend to be long. Some of them are
9: over five hours long. And it's like, on the surface, it's like, oh, there's hours of podcast recording. This should be easy, right? But, but Joe Rogan, it's just like, he's just crazy. He puts his mouth like right on the microphone. <laughs> uh, it has all these weird things in it. And and also, it's like a conversation, which is, which is completely different. It's like... One person talks, the other person talks in the middle of them talking, there's laughing, there's like coffee drinking, and <laughs> all, all sorts of things. And, and that makes it a lot harder. So what the team ended up doing was they ended up using just his ad reads. So like, you know, whenever he's reading an ad for his podcast, we knew it's just him. You know, he's not going to be doing anything weird. It's a lot easier.
6: Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Whoop. I wear a Whoop fitness strap. It's the most Meanwhile,
0: awesome the thing. team was also working through the tedious process of producing a perfect typed transcript of everything in those Rogan recordings. Now, the next part of the story requires a gentle understanding of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and deep learning. It's technical, and I debated just cutting this whole section. But hey, you've put on a podcast to learn something, right? Ragavan, take it away. Are you able to do a layman-friendly distinction between deep learning and machine
9: learning? Yeah, let's let's try that. So normally, software, you have to write all the rules for it. So, like you know, if you think of an app, like you have to say exactly like when the user does this, I want this to happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With machine learning, what we do is we make software kind of learn how to do things just by showing it data. So for example, let's say I wanted to recognize something in an image. In machine learning, I would write by hand like these sort of mathematical things that say like, oh, look for straight lines. You know, count how many straight lines there are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Count how many, you know, blobs of yellow there are or, or red there are. Okay, I got it, sort of. Then what's deep learning? With deep learning, we take it a bit further and it kind of learns directly from the data. With deep learning, it's just like, Give me the data and give me the answer. I will figure out the rest. Huh. I will learn everything in order to make this happen. I think that's what's really powerful about deep learning. And that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, in the past few years, we've seen so many crazy things come out of it. I'm beating this dead horse about how hard it is to create a deep fake voice to emphasize
0: how hard it is to create a deep fake voice. I mean, the early
6: incarnations of the faux Rogan voice were not that convincing. Here's an example. Alex Krashevsky's 2012 invention called Alex sparked the modern A movement. It is a profound achievement that uncovered a massive market for NVDI in the world. Yeah, okay, it's
0: something. But even after further work and hand-tweaking, there were still weird gaps and unnatural emphasis. Like this. It couldn't have been anyone else but you. We should have a conversation about it. But eventually, finally, the Rogan voice got really good. At fakejoerogan.com, for example, you can take a little quiz. You can listen to sentences and try to figure out if they're Joe Rogan or faux Rogan. I'll play three examples, and you can test
6: your deep fake radar. Okay, ready? Here's the first one. What was the person thinking when they discovered cow's milk was fine for human consumption? And why did they do it in the first place? Real or fake? Remember your vote. I'll give you the answers in a second. Okay, second one. Some of you just need to improve the quality of your existence on Earth. you got to do the right things. And finally, example number three. Fantastic old world craftsmanship
0: that you just don't see anymore. Okay, remember your answers. After the break, we'll see how you did.
7: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next, because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today.
2: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to
0: 500-500. And while we're taking an ad break, my new book, How to Prepare for Climate Change, covers where to live, how to ensure where to invest, how to talk to your kids, and how to ride out wildfires, hurricanes, heat waves, and so on. As the New York Times put it, it's always a good idea to prepare for a disaster, especially one you see coming. Pogue has got you covered. This book has been called the first uplifting book about climate change. Okay, the person who called it that was my editor at Simon & Schuster, but she's right. It's uplifting because ultimately the best cure for depression is taking action against a situation you can't control. How to Prepare for Climate Change, by me, David Pogue. Let me know what you think. Welcome back. Let's see how you did with your
6: deepfake detection skills. The first sentence. What was the person thinking when they discovered cow's milk was fine for human consumption? And why did they do it in the first place? That one's fake. Second one. Some of you just need to improve the quality of your existence on Earth. you got to do the right things. Fake again. And finally, example three, fantastic old world craftsmanship that you just don't see anymore. That's an actual
0: recording of the real Joe Rogan. So how did you do? Because pretty soon it's going to matter.
3: By the end of the decade, you're looking at a future where one YouTuber with limited resources or skills can kind of produce... Um, Something that's better than what the best Hollywood studio can produce today for millions of dollars and with teams of um, special effects artists. Don't you worry. (laughs) That is coming.
0: This is Nina Schick, author of a book called Deep Fakes, The Coming Infocalypse. Like apocalypse, but with info. Infocalypse.
3: Um, When I first started to come to deepfakes, you know, it was as they were emerging at the end of 2017 in the form of non-consensual pornography on Reddit. And I immediately realized that deepfakes could become the most powerful weapon of political disinformation known to humanity.
0: Nina may be one of the world's most informed experts on why audio deepfakes are dangerous.
3: Number one, you can fake media of anyone saying or doing anything. So you can imagine how, for instance, if you take the context of the United States after the George Floyd video came out, imagine there was a leaked recording of uh, Donald Trump you know, uttering a racial slur. Um, you can see how that leaked audio tape could in that incendiary kind of political environment, really kick off something far more dangerous. But I should note that this also has a very real risk to businesses. Imagine a business leader is caught on tape saying something that they didn't actually say. It could be potentially devastating.
0: And of course, the opportunities for scammers are delicious.
3: Ultimately, it's something that can affect every individual, right? One of the classic frauds that is perpetrated against millions of us every day worldwide is the desperate phone call from a loved one, right? Dad, I've been in an accident. I need money now. I'm in jail. Now imagine fraudsters can use AI to scrape social media to find a video of your son, your wife, your daughter, and then use that AI to basically emulate their voice with just, you know, a few seconds of training data. And now you get the call. And it's, literally your son. It is absolutely um, terrifying, to say the least, that this technology can be deployed by malicious actors
0: without control. Anyway, deepfakes purporting to capture people saying things they never said is only half the problem. The other half is the opposite situation, people blaming deepfakes for things they actually did say. I I remember that one of Trump's first responses to the Grabbing by the pussy video was, I never said that. Software created that.
4: That kind of reaction is called the liar's dividend, which is that people can come out and say, well, I didn't do that. I didn't say that. That wasn't me.
0: Meet Joan Donovan, research director at Harvard's Kennedy School Shorenstein Center on Media Politics and Public Policy. And that fits on a business card?
4: Hey, when you're, when you're me, you don't want anybody to have your email or your phone number. I don't even have business cards. I don't want people to know how to get in touch.
0: She's spent a lot of time studying misinformation. And she says that the antidote for the liar's dividend is other people as witnesses.
4: You don't build a court case based on a single shred of evidence. Everything adds up. Right, Um, we have to kind of build or weave a story here, and then also, if it is an interaction that is being, you know, faked, like is there a way to legitimate those claims, just as we would, as any good journalist would, you know, verify? But it's still going to require people talking to people (laughs) to make sense of a thing.
0: Now, Dessa, the company that created Faux Rogan, did it as they say to get attention. And they got it. The whole company was soon thereafter bought by Square, the digital payments company. But why did Adobe do it? Why did they make Project Voco in the first place? It wasn't to torpedo our public trust in anything anybody ever says again. Here's what
6: Adobe's blog post says. When recording voiceovers, dialogue, and narration... Wouldn't you love the option to edit or insert a few words without the hassle of recreating the recording environment or bringing the voiceover artist in for another
0: session? VOCO was created to make life easier for creative people, to fix stumbles in podcasts, audiobooks, and narration, to clean up dialogue in movies, TV shows, and games when you need to edit lines after the actors are no longer available, to dub movies into other languages with the original actor's voice. Here's Nina Schick again.
3: You can see how this is going (laughs) to basically change the future of the movies, change the future of advertising, change entire industries. But another really compelling example is using synthetic voice to give those people who've lost the ability to speak, for instance, through a neurodegenerative disease or a stroke, being able to give them their voice back, literally give them their voice back. And there's already a team of researchers working on this.
0: And that's why there are now a bunch of companies that can turn your voice into a deepfake, a voice clone, so that you can now type whatever you want to have read aloud in your voice. To make a voice clone, you need to feed the machine learning algorithm a lot of clean audio. You're usually asked to read 20 or 50 sentences into the mic. Sentence four. The rainbow is composed of many bands of white light. That's partly to teach the AI and partly to prevent you from cloning the voice of somebody else without their awareness. You'd have to put a gun to their head, sit them down, and make them read those exact sentences. So how good is the result? I tried all the voice cloning services I could find. Here's a voice I generated for free at a site called resemble.ai. Hello, and welcome to the brilliant new podcast called Unsung Science. I'm David Pug, or not. Wow. Well, Resemble does offer sliders that let you change the pitch, emphasis, and emotion of each word. That, or not, at the end, really sounded wrong. Or not. So, I'm going to make the pitch lower and change the emotion to annoyed. I'm David Pug, or not. Much better. Or not. Well, let's see if I could use it to pull off the phone scam that Nina Schick described. Hi, Dad. It's David, as you can obviously tell by the sound of my voice. I've been in an accident. I need money now. I'm in jail. Can you send me some money right away? Yeah, probably not. Well, how about its competitor, ReplicaStudios.com? Hi, Dad. It's me again. David, I have some bad news. You've been brutally mugged in the streets of Paris. I need you to send me money. Lots of money. Please, please, please. Nope, not sold. Without a lot of handwork by engineers, the state of the art is just lame. Now, with handwork by engineers, the state of the art is really good. This is the David Pogue voice clone made for me by a company called Lovo.ai. Now, I'm in business. This fake Pogue is much more convincing than those free ones. To get something that good, I had to read 20 minutes of text. And if I were an actual customer, I would have had to pay $1,000. You know the voices you've been hearing in this episode, reading Adobe statements and quotes from articles in various news outlets? They're all AI voices generated by Lovo. Gotcha! Yeah, I like my podcasts with a twist.
10: A lot of the AI systems out there, if you feed it in gold, it will output gold. But if you feed it in garbage, it will output garbage.
0: Meet Charlie Choi. He's the CEO of Lovo, speaking to me from Korea. I tried a bunch of the free voice cloning services and they were not good. Um, Why is it that
10: you can make ones that could actually fool someone and they can't? Uh, We have a team of data scientists who, after receiving the recording data, Um, We go in and really try to understand if this person um, has spoken every single word and we try to annotate every single emphasis or maybe breathing patterns or laughs um, so that the AI voice sounds more natural and more human. And uh, for us, uh, we can even simulate stuttering or all of these imperfect artifacts which make human voice so real because humans aren't perfect. We're also teaching it where the emphasis goes in, or which part of it is a laugh, or which part of it is a sigh. Um, We're also feeding it, for example, pitch information, so that the model learns how to change around the pitch.
0: Well, that idea was too good to stay down. Today, you can have that freedom by paying for a service called Descript.com. It's a suite of tools for podcasters to make it easier to edit recordings. Here's their ad. Meet Descript. It's a powerful new tool that makes editing easy. So easy that you'll want to edit videos. Nice. And if you're willing to pay $24 a month, you get this. Get this.
9: Descript can turn your
0: text back into audio. It's called overdub. Just type what you meant to say right into Descript. Wait, what? Isn't that exactly what Project Voco was supposed to do five years ago? I tried it out. Open parenthesis. Descript and the other companies mentioned here didn't pay me to talk about them. Most of them didn't even know I was doing this. Close paren. First, I had to teach Descript my voice by reading 15 minutes worth of prepared text. The penguins stay when all other creatures have fled because each guards a treasure. Then, 24 hours later, Descript was ready to do the Project Voco thing. Let's recreate the same key and peel joke that Adobe used, but using my own voice. Here's what I actually recorded. I jumped on the bed, and I kissed my dogs and my wife in that order. And then I edited the sentence just the way the Adobe guy did on stage to produce this hilarious result. I jumped on the bed, and I kissed Jordan three times. Okay, that's pretty amazing. Now, Voco and descript are meant to fix a word or two in a legitimate recording. You can't use them to generate a whole paragraph or a whole speech. That is a bigger challenge. And that's the purpose of services like Lovo, to make a full-scale voice clone that can say anything of any length and sound convincingly human. Right now, they take a lot of work and a lot of money, but Harvard's Joan Donovan says that technology will march on soon enough. As deep fakes require fewer and
4: fewer images of people and audio fakes require fewer and fewer sound bites it's pushing us into a future of forgery that uh, is gonna, it's, it's going to be confusing for a while.
0: So, is that it? Society's doomed? Nobody will ever be able to trust any photo, video, or audio clip again? Well, maybe not. It may be that you already know about the solution to the deepfakes problem. You heard it described 20 minutes ago. Remember Adobe's 2015 demo of Project Voco? In that session, the presenter promised that the company was also working on fraud detection technology so we'd know the difference between real and phony recordings. Remember?
5: Don't worry, yeah. we have like, yeah. wa- think about like a watermarking, yeah. detection.
0: Well, Adobe hasn't forgotten.
8: Um, one of the early experiments we we were working on was something we called Project Voco, which is a a uh, voice editing, synthesizing software. But we actually ended up deciding not to release it yet because we actually didn't know how to protect it.
0: This is Dana Rao, who's Adobe's chief counsel. Ever since that Voco demo, he and Adobe's engineers have been trying to figure out how to prevent a fake ageddon or an infocalypse.
8: I was talking to our, um, our chief product officer, I said, you know, we're probably at the point <laughs> where this is going to be really hard to, as we said, tell fact from fiction. In a world where you don't believe anything anymore, there are two big problems. One is you believe a lie, and the other big problem is you no longer believe the truth, <laughs> right? And, and once you lose both of those things, if you're in a democracy, you've sort of lost the ability to govern,
0: Their first thought was to use artificial intelligence to detect if some photo
8: or recording is fake or not. So we took the question back to our research team. So the first question is, can we use AI to detect fakes? Like, that would be the easiest answer, right? And the response we got back from our researchers was the technology to do the editing, which is what we do, um, is always going to be at par or step ahead of any technology used to detect it. It's just like the security in the arms race, right? Like you're always, you're improving your security, but the the bad guys are out there improving their attacks. And sooner or later, you're going to lose that battle or at least something's going to get through.
0: But then a eureka moment. We don't necessarily need technology that can identify a fake. What would be just as good is a way to prove that something is real. That would solve the trust problem. If there's some leaked recording of the president saying, you know, I like to run over baby animals, knowing if it's authentic would be just as good as knowing if it's a fake.
8: And so we said, all right, what is another way to talk about this problem? We thought we'd, let's flip the problem on its head. And what we meant by that was, why don't we give a place for good actors to go to be trusted? instead of trying to catch all the bad actors, which we think is a losing proposition. And that's what CAI is designed to do.
0: CAI is the Content Authenticity Initiative. Five years after the Project VOCO demonstration, Zeyu Jin's reference to watermarking
5: Think about like a watermarking detection.
0: has blossomed into a full-blown, I don't know, program, feature, technology, campaign, consortium, all of the above. I'll let Dana Rao describe how it works.
8: It occurred to us that we're in this unique position to help the consumers understand, like, what happened to an image? I'm going to, you know, enhance the image. I'm going to make it sharper. I'm going to you know, make it clearer. You make all the edits to make this image as good as possible. And then you publish it. Once you publish it on the social media platform or on wherever it is, the people can see it. They can see a little icon. And they're like, oh, I wonder if the president really did go there. And they can click on it and they can say, well, it was David who took it. They can see the location of the image, where it was taken. They can see the edits that were made if they want to. They can actually see the original. They can go to a website, see the original image, and see the edited image and decide for themselves. And you have the facts. You decide for yourself. We empower the user to do it. That's sort of the end-to-end system that we're working on um, with a bunch of different partners um, to build out and, and hopefully change the conversation around how you consume content.
0: Obviously, this idea can work only if every link of the chain Preserves that encrypted metadata that's embedded in the picture or the recording, the phone camera that takes it, the software that edits it, the social media network that posts it, every step of the way.
8: And that's why this is an open standard. It's not an Adobe tool. It's not proprietary. We're building it with a bunch of partners. We want everyone to use it. We want every you know news media outlet to use it. We want every social platform to. Use it. We want everyone. Whoever does this, this is not a a play for us to get money. We're not charging for it. So if you want your story to be told, you can do it.
0: Already, over 375 companies are on board, including chip makers like Intel, ARM, and Qualcomm, camera makers like Nikon and Samsung, software makers like Adobe and Microsoft, news outlets like the New York Times, BBC, and the CBC, websites like Twitter, Getty Images, and hundreds more. Here's an ad from the CAI website, which gives you an idea of how these companies will explain CAI to the public.
7: I am photographing with a CAI-enabled prototype and saying, don't take my word for it. There's literally software that can prove, like, I didn't mess with this photo. This is where it was taken. This is when it was taken. And this is the certification that it's me who's made that content.
0: The feature that the CAI companies are adopting has a name too. It shall be known as content credentials. When you see something suspicious online, you'll click a content credentials icon to see that content's credentials and the path that it took to your eyeballs. And now the big punchline. After years of work, Adobe has finally introduced this feature to the public. Just this week, assuming you're listening to this podcast when it's hot off the servers, Adobe unveiled content credentials at Adobe Max. Yeah, that's right. The story that began at the Adobe Max conference five years ago ended with the Adobe Max conference last week. This episode has bookends. Now that's what you call an ingeniously structured podcast. Of course, the content credentials technology isn't a silver bullet. For one thing, the version just released works only on photos. Adobe hopes to have video and audio authentication maybe next year. Meanwhile, Harvard's Joan Donovan says we'll still have a lot of work to do in policy, law, and in public awareness.
4: People have figured out how to wield this technology for serious and grave consequences. We have a duty to the future, Uh, to say that we're not going to allow it, we're not going to let it proliferate. And so as we think about the future of technology policy, I believe we need a whole of society approach. What is our responsibility to one another? What is technology companies' responsibility for that distribution and that exposure? And then how do we as a society... Like, figure out what the true costs of misinformation are so that we can do something about it.
0: You know, throughout all of these interviews, I kept thinking. A new technology. Capable of editing a record of actual events. Experts predicting the erosion of public trust. Where have I heard all this before?
3: A picture may no longer be worth a thousand words. These days, the picture that the camera takes may well not be the picture that we end up seeing in newspapers and magazines. Technology makes it difficult, maybe even impossible, to tell what's real and what's not.
0: That's Deborah Norville, the host of the Today Show in February 1990. Her guest that day was Russell Brown from Adobe, demonstrating version 1.0 of a brand new program called Photoshop.
8: We'll take the shot of the uh, Nancy and Ron, and um, I'm going to place myself into this photograph. Based upon the skill of the artist using the program, they can give the illusion that the
0: photograph is quite real. There was also another guest, a cautionary voice.
3: Fred Richin is an author who has written a book. You warn against the dangers of what people like
7: Russell do.
0: Well, the thing is, when you see a photograph, you really tend to believe it, that something happened. And when people start monkeying with photographs, You don't know which photographs are real, which ones happened, which didn't. And my concern is that if the media takes to doing what Russell is demonstrating now, uh, that people, the public, will begin to disbelieve photographs generally, and it won't be as effective and powerful a document of social communication as it has been for the last 150 years. Of course, these days, nobody worries about Photoshop bringing down civilization. We're totally blasé about edited photos— we just go, oh, that must have been photoshopped. And we go on with our lives. I asked Nina Shick if these audio and video deepfakes are really any different. Is there a newness to audio and video deepfakes that makes it more terrifying? Yes. And, and, and maybe we'll just get to a place where everyone's like, oh, that's probably a deepfake.
3: Photo and image manipulation has a long history. The difference now is that it is not just images. You are talking about video, Video manipulation, which until now has only been in the realm of Hollywood studios.
0: Still, she does acknowledge that there's more to it than the dawn of the infocalypse.
3: Like all powerful technologies of the exponential age, this is going to be an amplifier of human intention. It will be used for bad just as it will be used for good. So just as they will be used by malicious actors, there are going to be many commercially valid, legitimate applications. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, I wanted to end this episode with a twist. I thought I'd let my own voice clone from Lovo speak the final paragraph. But when I got the results back from Charlie Choi, it sounded so much like me that I didn't think you'd be able to tell when I stopped and the deepfake voice started and the gag would lose all its impact. So I'm going to make it super clear. From the end of this sentence until the credits, you're going to hear nothing but software starting Now, I thought I'd give the last word to my clone, my voice clone, the one that Charlie Choi's team at Lovo made for me. You're listening to him right now. And what I'd like my voice to say is that, well, in the end, voice synthesis is just another technology. What happens from here isn't about the tool, it's about whoever's wielding it. I'm David Pogue, or a synthetic version thereof. And this is Unsung Science. Unsung Science with David Pogue is presented by Simon & Schuster and CBS News and produced by PRX Productions. The executive producers for Simon & Schuster are Richard Rohrer and Chris Lynch. The PRX production team is Jocelyn Gonzalez, Morgan Flannery, Claire Carlander, Pedro Rafael Rosado, and the project manager is Ian Fox the amazing Jesse Nelson composed the Unsung Science theme music, and fact-checker Christina Ribello positioned herself nobly between my scripts and certain humiliation. For more Unsung Science episodes, visit unsungscience.com. Follow us on Twitter at unsungsci. S-C-I. For more of my stuff, visit davidpogue.com or follow me on Twitter at pogue, P-O-G-U-E. We'd love it if you'd like and subscribe to Unsung Science wherever you get your podcasts. And spread the word, would you? Thanks for listening.
1: If you like Unsung Science, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com/survey.
7: Look around; you can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto
2: Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.